Yo, what's going on family? My name is Elijah McCutcheon and it is an honor and privilege to be before you all today for another episode of the amazing Scales of Justice with James. James, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. Glad to be back on the mic doing the podcast and looking forward to today's show. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. It's great. Last time we uh, were here, you weren't here, um, unfortunately. We, uh, but fortunately, (laughs) because we were able to meet with Shania and have such great dialogue with her regarding environmental justice, and it was just a great thing uh, and a great conversation. Uh, I'm doing well, even though you don't care to know. Uh, <laughs> this episode's not about you. That's right. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The name, the name of the episode is James and his story. Um, so I guess we'll get right into it. Um, so today's goal is just to get to know James a little bit better. Um, James, to me, is known as one of the most um, inspirational young activists I have ever had the privilege and um, pleasure to meet. Um, he is very concerned about the future um, of what that looks like, and I'm just interested to know why, um, because a lot of people have different sparks and different things that create interest in a topic, and I guess we're just kind of um, going to figure out why. You know, we see you as the person who often is the first line of support for any student going through a type of injustice or uncomfortable positions, but today our goal is to figure out what led to this position and why you chose this route as a way to fight injustices. So James, you know, first things first, you know, what is your story? How'd you end up here at Otterbein? Um, and yeah, yeah, we'll go from there. Okay. I see. Well, started on a fall day, October 13th, 1986. That's how <laughs> no, uh, no, I, for real, I went to Otterbein and did undergrad here uh, 2005 to 2009. Okay. Uh, so throughout my time, I was very involved as a student, and I, I worked with uh, alumni groups. I worked with the admissions office. And I worked with um, the Office of Social Justice and Activism, used to be called the Office of Ethnic Diversity at the mm. time. Uh, and so I worked uh, uh, with that office in a couple of capacities with some of the student organizations. Okay. We had. So we had our African American Student Union and Men of Vision. Uh, I was you know, one of the three you know, founders of that organization, Men of Vision. So we wanted to make a mark on campus. Um, and I kind of just found my niche getting some really good uh, responsibilities uh, at the university, just getting to be able to tap into different parts and different levels of the university. I think it was really helpful for my personal professional growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I still didn't see like equity inclusion as a career type thing. You know, I was really just focused. I was a sport management major. And so it's not something that really hit me until um, a few years after college. So right before Otterbein, I worked in an English language learners program on the west side of Columbus for Somali refugee students. So that was elementary and middle school students. Wow. Uh, so that was an awesome experience. They taught me just as much as I taught them. Uh, but we did four days a week there. And you know we would work with the kids after school. And uh, some of it was teaching them English. And, and others was just all the major subjects that they needed to complete for their education. But through that, I saw some of the huge gaps in the educational system and how some of them were just getting passed because, you know, 
I don't have the time to give you individual attention and I'm going to pass you just to pass you uh, without the students actually grasping the content. So our program helped help them give get more personalized attention. Uh, so I saw some injustices through that, through the education system, through my time there. And uh, I ended up getting laid off at the time uh, after like three years working. Wow. There, and I ran into uh, the director of the office. So my senior year, the Office of Ethnic Diversity uh, got a new director, Dr. Lisa Patterson Phillips. So uh, I ran into her and her husband at the mall. I was working at Foot Locker at the time because I just needed something to get money. Plus, I love sneakers. Uh, but with that, uh, we started talking and, and her and her husband said, hey, yeah, we'll look out for you and see what happens. And then uh, an assistant position uh, program director, excuse me, position came up at Otterbein, and um, I've been here ever since. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is so crazy, and that's so good, and I think it speaks to any students who are listening, the importance of relationships with those you build while you're here. Um, wow, that's, that's crazy. And so, um, you know, um, you, you speak about that time when you were working with um, students and their English learning mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. transition, you know, um, what it, it, it led you back here while you were still, you know, trying to figure out life here. Yeah. Um, and so when you got here, what led you, what kind of sparked an interest in staying? You know, was there a moment or, you know, what, what does that look like? Yeah, it was a gradual process. And like I said, I never pictured myself um, in a position like this in higher because it wasn't something that was really uh, preached to us at all in undergrad. And I think student affairs is something that has really um, increased as far as like, hey, you know, students who are in higher education, there are also careers in higher education. and But no one was, was doing that with me at the time. It wasn't as... Um, marketed mm -hmm. uh, here at least so you know once I got here and uh, I stayed involved as an alumni so I still had some contact with students who were here so it made my job a little bit easier I was able to ease my way in and um, I, I just say that when I looked and saw that you know I could be a part of creating helping to create an experience that was even better than mine uh, and I saw that I'm on the other side of the table now, so to yeah. speak. How can I make a difference in these spaces with um, an elevated voice, but also uh, listening to the voices of the students and so they can trust that they have someone that will advocate on their behalf. So uh, with that being said, when I started to see some positive changes and say, seeing like, oh, okay, well, you know, there is some influence here. There's some good things happening. Uh, I like to stick around and see some things through mm -hmm. and building, you know, really good relationships with students and uh, seeing th them develop as leaders was something that I uh, was privileged to be a part of. And, and so that kind of helped me stick around. So, yeah, yeah. Mm, now, I can't I can't imagine it's easy. And for me, you know, with going I'm looking into a career in student affairs and higher education. Yeah. And looking at continuing some of the great work that you do at 
any respective university, <clears throat> in case you're hiring. Um, <laughs> but um, so, you know, with that, you know, what would you say to those who work in this road um, and often feel sometimes stopped or stalled in their uh, pursuit of equality slash equity um, at their respective institutions? Yeah, it's, it's not an easy position to be in. Uh, and I know that, especially because of current events, um, more companies have, their antennas are up where they're saying, you know, we would like to have someone here uh, managing, running equity and inclusion efforts and stuff like that. And some, some programs and, and organizations do it well, and some they just want to say that they have the position mm -hmm. and they don't really give that position any uh, power or any resources at the institution. Uh, so that's been a pitfall for your chief diversity officers, your diversity directors, whatever the organization uh, department is called at the respective institutions. So I would say that it is very frustrating, but it's a mirror of real life. So... Mm. Speak more on that. What you, what you experience and having barriers, roadblocks to getting things across, that's pretty much what happens in the real world. That's how we got, you know, so it's just a microcosm of that. Mm. Uh, but for those that have the privilege to do so, I would say that you need to be in a space that... Um, you're not going to be in a space that's perfect, so stop looking for that because that's not going to happen. But you can be in a space where you are extremely valued as, an, as a, a fellow employee at that organization, where your voice, your voice matters, it's heard, uh, and you are consulted when it comes to some important decisions. Yeah. If you can find a place like that, you stay, you know, you see it out even through some tough times, mm -hmm. because nothing is going to be smooth. This isn't a business of smooth transactions and smooth initiatives. It's, it's not uh, for you know the same tough conversations that financial leaders may have with organizations to make difficult decisions. And we saw a lot of that happening throughout the last two years too. Um, there's discomfort there, there's just comfort with equity and inclusion. Yeah. Well. Uh, so if you can find an organization, and this is doing your homework ahead of time too, and knowing that you are interviewing the organization just as much as they're interviewing you. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah, a lot of times we put ourselves in the, I want to make sure that I'm a good fit for them. Well, they need to be, you know, quote, unquote, fit. They need to be a good fit for you. Yeah. Um, because you're bringing talent to the table that they currently don't have. Mm -hmm. uh, so if they're not going to support you personally and professionally, uh, then it's, you know, especially as a hot button job right there, there's a lot of opportunities to go to an organization that will embrace you. Yeah, yeah, man. So let's let's go back. Let's go back a little bit. Um, and I think the students, because I think what we're seeing now, um, and what we've seen for years, I think since I'll be honest, I'm 21. Mm -hmm. Um, so seven years ago, 24. No. When was was Trayvon Martin 2011? 2011, 2012, I think. Yeah, so. around that time. That was our first, honestly, our first, my generation's first experience with 
social injustice and and, and social rage. I'll mm. coin that term right now. <laughs> social rage. Uh, so with you um, and your experience in this position over the years, what has that been like in the educational bubble? Because I, I, I'll, I'll say it like this. We are kind of in a bubble when you're in college. Yes. You know, you're in your own world, you're in your own way, and you're not really being directly, mm -hmm. in a way, impacted by a lot. That's what's going on outside of it. So how, what does that look like during those moments on a campus when you see, I remember, because I was in high school when Michael Brown happened, yes. and Fernando Castile, yep. and all those situations. I was in high school. So, like, what was the college campus like during those moments like? And what were you telling students? Yeah, a, a couple layers to that is throughout that, I mean, even times where students would gather to hear the verdict of the, of the mm. situation and to see the uh, pain on their faces and also the lack of surprise on their faces. Mm. So some of it was just emotionally supporting them in the moment yeah. right there in that moment um, to be able to because where else do we really have spaces to process things and some some people can't do that in their household they can't do that with their friend circles perhaps uh, so one one of the parts that we try to do is to create that space for processing yeah now in that process, and I love to leave people with an action item before they leave a program or something like that. Uh, because of the emotion, it's not the emotion that is flawed, it's what you do with it that could be mm -hmm. either constructive or destructive. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we have to be careful of how we place our energy, where we place our energy. So that the, the second part, that second layer is saying, yeah, this is trash. This is, you know, something that we should not be getting used to. That should not right. be happening. Yeah. Now, if you truly want to be part of a, a shift of change, let's talk about how you would like to address that. Mm -hmm. Now, in a lot of instances, the students decided to look inwardly at the university and say, you know, what are some things that we can change here? Uh, and with that... There was a protest in 2016 mm -hmm. on campus, and we got several of our student leaders. And the beautiful thing about that is that they were leaders of all different types of identities, right. uh, based on you know, race, religion, uh, gender, uh, sexual orientation, all those things. And they said, you know what? We're not going to treat this like a Hunger Games of oppression. We are going to just say, we're all going through some stuff, and we want to see those barriers removed. Right. For each and every one of us. Right. How do we hold the institution accountable in that process? Mm -hmm. What do we need to shift? Uh, so our, our chaplain, Judy Guy Utzler, and I got with the, the students. And, you know, naturally, some, some of the leaders emerged from those groups of people that were willing to help with the planning. Mm -hmm. And we said, so we don't want your message to get lost in this. If you're going to do this, you want to be very clear on what you're asking. Right. So then they came up with a, a list of demands and expectations for the university. And um, we helped them 
flesh it out and say, okay, let's read over this. You sure this is what you want to ask? Okay, cool. Let's do that. Uh, and then we just helped organize, you know, the route of the protest and uh, they picked who they wanted to speak throughout that time everything like that. Uh, we had faculty and staff that were there, that were supporting, that were standing there with them, which was awesome. Uh, and they ended up talking to our cabinet at the time. Mm -hmm. The cabinet invited them in uh, to the boardroom and said, hey, you know, uh, we'd love to hear, you know, we want to hear what you're saying here. Yeah. And then that's when they had that list. So it was mm -hmm. very clear to the decision makers what they were asking for. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say, I think all but one of those things has already, you know, taken off the ground, uh, been completed, or in progress. Yeah. So, uh, with that, I, I think the students felt a sense of empowerment, mm -hmm. but also a sense of value. Mm. Yeah. So it's very easy to not feel valued uh, in different spaces, uh, but when you are saying like, I'm a part of holding a place that I care for, the people I care for accountable, it doesn't stop in college. Whatever you're gonna do after college is gonna continue. And so they have that, that template to carry on with them yeah. uh, throughout their lives. So that, that's kind of how we did it. We, you know, we support emotionally and then we help them place their energy in something that's going to be uh, beneficial to the causes that they believe in. Yeah, man. And, and <clears throat> I think what kind of sparked my interest during that statement was, I know that during that time we've had a transition of administration. Mm -hmm. And I know that in a lot of places, universities go through a transition of administration, whether it's your dean of students, your <clears throat> um, the president of university, whoever it is, there's a transition that usually happens in some place or another because not everyone is there for a long time. And I think one of the things with um, justice movements is there's a consistent, in a way, transition that always takes place. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're seeing it now with so many of the forerunners and the laborers that were way back in the 50s and 60s and 70s are starting to unfortunately go, go on you know, and pass away. Mm -hmm. And so with that transition, what do you... What do you do like when all of that transition is happening, whether it's an administration or anything like that? You know, how do you recalibrate in a way um, to make sure that the mission that you started with continues to go through no matter who's at the top seat? Yeah, I know from the student end, as students cycle through, uh, one thing is to get connected with them early mm -hmm. and often to set the, the tone in that environment of, hey, this is what has happened at Otterbein. Uh, this is what students have done, uh, all the good work. And when you see that, the other part is not, it's not just uh, something that folks that were part of that original protest were able to embrace. It was something that the first-year students that were there, the sophomores, yeah. that were looking at this and saying, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So this is what it means to hold a community accountable. This is what it means to exercise your voice. That legacy has been matriculating yeah. ever since then. You know, it's what, six years later. Yeah, yeah. So that that's part of it is that those moments 
especially when you do them well and they did an awesome job, people look at it and say, okay, this is a, th now it's my turn. It's on me now. They did their thing. It's on me now. Uh, and then when we look at administration filtering through, I think it was important that we looked at trying to hire the best humans that we can mm -hmm. here. Uh, so it, part of it was looking at how we structure our search committees, uh, what questions are asked during interviews, how do we evaluate our performances here at the institution. Those things have shifted. Uh, and so when you have stuff like that happening, the, the drop-off isn't as severe when people leave. So you're always going to get a little, you know, a, some differences, personality yeah. differences, priority differences, and everything like that. But the drop-off isn't as, as large. Right. Um, because you've set a great foundation and that you are bringing people in with the expectation that equity and inclusion is a pillar of the institution. Yeah. And this is not just words on the page, but what it looks like in practice. So people know what they're signing up for if they... A, you know, want to apply and work out of our yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, man. Oh, James, you're so it's so interesting. Um, and I, I I'm glad you bring up that protest of 2016 because I came in in fall of 2019, and it is still um, widely regarded as one of the most exam best examples of student activism. And then you had um, 2020 come in which we saw some more of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, but I do think it was a little different though because we were in the midst of a global pandemic yes. and still are. Um, and I think it, it, you know, it came to be important on, you know, what that looks like and how to do it correctly. Um, and so I would imagine that that would be a good moment for you um, to see that, to see students rise to the occasion and really mm -hmm. um, make it known on how they feel. And so um, one of the last questions I want to ask is, what has been the best part so far in this journey of working in this capacity as, you know, the director of the Office of Social Justice and Activism? You know, or if you can't think of an absolute best part, maybe a top five. I'd say a few best parts. Uh, one, one of the best parts is definitely being able to see a student when they first come in the university uh, and maybe they're looking to find their voice, find what they like to do. What are they good at? They're just trying to fill, fill things out and navigate it. And to see them, you fast forward a few years later and they're about to walk across the stage and you say, you know, this is... Uh, a, there's some differences between the human that's about to walk across the stage than when they first came in for orientation. And to know that you were a part of that process uh, is, is, very, is something that really is meaningful to me, uh, to, to see that. And um, it, you're proud of them. You, you get really proud of them. And you're like, man, they're, they're good humans. They're going to do good work in whatever they decide to do with their lives. So that's that's the big piece. Graduation day is my favorite day, and I think a lot of people around here would say the same thing. Um, and then looking at the um, the leadership that as people stepping up to fill in gaps and say, "Hey, this is important." So even if I'm not the most comfortable and confident right now, 
I'm going to challenge myself. So when I see students challenging themselves and saying, James, this is important. We need to do something about this or we need to keep this momentum going. And I want to be a part of that. It's like, great. And then we strategize. And then when they feel, when you start to see the light bulbs go off, uh, I love that part, uh, whether it's a, a student, a faculty, staff, community member. When people are really there to learn and have an open ear and an open heart to the, to the conversations, and then you, you get the aha moment, like, oh, okay, I get that. I get that. So when I'm talking to someone about uh, privilege in its many forms, when I'm talking about, uh, when I'm talking about race or, or gender or socioeconomics, and then someone who was not well-versed and didn't have a wealth of knowledge in that particular area, or I thought they did until they were challenged, and they say, you know what? I didn't know that, and I never thought about it like that before. And they start asking more informed questions, trying to get to it. Those moments mean a lot to me, because that means you just shifted someone's mentality. Right. You, you made a difference to where they're going to be a leader and a decision maker at some point in their lives, if they're not already. And for them to be able to have that in their minds and their hearts as they're uh, being leaders in the community, that's of utmost importance to me. Yeah. Because that's, that was part of the problem before, Yeah. is that you have people making decisions that were not thinking about certain populations. And for us to be like, you know, we need to think about this, 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 and that before we move forward. Though that's what I love to hear. And when I hear that from our community, uh, it gives me a little goosebumps sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Man. James, I just, I, um, one of the big pieces and the reason why I wanted to do this episode about you is because, I don't know, I've explained it earlier because you are literally so amazing. I think Stop. I think back <laughs> to the first time I came to Otterbein for the um, home experience. Mm. Everyone talked about James. If there was nobody else that you were going to meet that weekend, you had to meet James. Um, I didn't meet James. I didn't meet James. <laughs> I didn't meet James until August of 2019. Um, and that was during... The nest, the mm-hmm. nurturing, um, nurturing experiences and student transitions. Right, yeah, it's close. Nurture educational success and transitions. You got the N and the T right. It's, <laughs> it's fine. It's but, Monday. It's fine. It's but fine. yeah, so you know that conversation with James, um, just about yo, how come I didn't get an invitation? He was like, well, "Did you check your email?" And I was like, "Dang, he just came at my neck. That's crazy." <laughs> but he was right. I didn't check my email, but. That conversation and on, I was like, okay, James is one, someone on this campus I can trust to one, correct me if I'm coming at him crazy, and two, <laughs> redirect me with love at the same time. And I think as a black man growing up in this campus, to see another black man who is educated, um, knows what he's talking about, is aware of the spaces that he's in and understands the value of his voice was something so powerful and something I, I will forever be grateful for. And so to any educator, any person in student affairs, any person in um, primary education um, or secondary or tertiary um, <laughs> education, I would encourage you to to 
be mindful of the impact you're having on the individuals around you, especially those younger and looking up to you, because your voice, your presence, your um, conversation, it all matters. James gave me the ability to bring um, the conversation about scales of justice um, with Mean Hill to the to a forefront and supported it and made sure that we were able to engage in conversation that was important and relevant. James um, gave me the unction to want to be on the University Board of Trustees. You know, so all of these things, uh, there's a gratefulness that flows from it. And so I want to honor you, sir, um, for your dedication, your time, and your consistency um, and being such a great example and a forerunner for so many who will come behind you. Um, and I think I, another, another thing is I want everyone to, who's listening to know that your sacrifices and your, um, your time that you take with the students that are around you mm-hmm. matters and it has relevance and importance because all of my big role models that I've ever had have been male teachers, um, and particularly black male teachers because I'm a black man. Mm-hmm. And so all of those from the, the men who wore bow ties on Mondays or mm-hmm. the ties on Tuesdays or James who knows how to wear fly kicks and a nice suit at the same time. <laughs> I've always been respectful of that and honoring of that. And so I just want to encourage anyone who's listening, take that opportunity and be okay with being the light to shine for other people um, and being that example so that they are able um to see, you know, what their career can look like. Because at the end of the day, whatever field you're working in, someone is looking at you and is saying, you know, that could be me. Yeah. Um, before they find out what your salary is. <laughs> <laughs> but anywho, this has been Scales of Justice with James and Elijah. Um, I want to thank you all for listening today. James, anything you want to say? No, thank you so much for your kind words, man. I appreciate that. And uh, it's definitely... Uh, a blessing to be a part of uh, the development of you know, the next generations and, and, and leaders. And, uh, so it's a privilege to be a part of all the journeys that, that I've been a part of so far and looking forward to many more. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you again for listening. This has been Scales of Justice. We'll see you next time.